The views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely that of the podcast contributor and not that of Shine or Sea Change. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Sea Change Sessions with A Little Gale. My name is Abigail McDonnell and this is the podcast all about breaking stigma, surrounding mental health difficulties and just normalising the conversation. So it's a new month. We have a new theme, um, one I'm really, really excited about, and our topic for today is expectations of women. And I have two amazing ladies on with me today. I've got Michelle O'Keefe from the Parenting Institution and Rashika Hassan, a sea change ambassador like myself. So I am so excited to have you both on with me today. Um, Rashika, I'm going to start with you. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. Thank you for having me uh, on this, Abigail. Uh, Doing great. Uh, It's it's nice and bright, so... uh, really can't complain and uh, very excited about this topic as well given how close it is to my heart so um, yeah super super excited fantastic well I'm delighted to have you on I would just kind of um my first question for you is a little bit about your journey and how you became to be a sea change ambassador I guess yeah 100 percent. so it it has been um really very interesting journey to be honest and um, um, I have been so I've been a very South Asian kid you know super competitive very performance driven it's all about uh, performance and growth and academics and so on and that's what I've known for most of my life I've been working in technology, working in marketing for a very, very long time. And it was about, uh, I moved to Ireland about eight years ago, uh, became a parent about four and a half years ago. Um, And I've been working in lots of senior positions uh, most of my career. It was just after I had my children is when I realized things have started to change. Um, And it's not just external, it's not people. It was mainly about things changing inside that I can't really point on. And I was like, no, things are not changing. I'm I'm fine, I I can do it, I can do it. And I kept pushing myself even harder and harder and harder instead of taking a step back and realizing that, oh, I have to reassess things. I have to do things maybe a little bit differently. But no, uh, given the performance mindset, you know, once ingrained in you, you just keep pushing and you want your house to be perfect. You want your kids to be perfect. You want them to be fed. You don't want them to be falling sick and then you have to drop them to crash. And then I'm working as a CMO in a role and it's 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 everything became so overwhelming that um, I felt that A, I can't focus on anything. B, I had this, um, you know, um, imposter syndrome. Like I'm just not good enough. And, anything uh, really and I had this chronic fatigue now I am a very uh, you know given my career in marketing and technology I have always been a very data-driven person so I started researching I started looking into what's wrong with me like why am I behaving this way and so on and I realized that there's so many things that have happened in the past from becoming a mom and how your priorities how your hormonal system your brain uh, signs your behavior has changed and has adapted to the new way of living but it was very hard to explain it at workplace and so on and I felt at that particular point you know things were all falling off like you know externally it'll look like 
oh my god she has the best job she has she's buying a house she's <laughs> buying everything but not nothing was right like everything was breaking down I ended up in hospital for a week still didn't give um, you know a lot of attention to it and um, it was towards the end of 2018 when I lost my mom and I it felt like it all came together it's like it was that time when I realized oh my god I have all my priorities wrong first of all I'm not my own priority and my kids are you know kind of I'm not spending good quality time with them and so on so I decided to take a step back and you know research more into this area went to Stanford in 2019 met so many amazing professors in this area and was absolutely mind blown that you know how when you're working for so many years you still forget about the most fundamental things about happiness about mindfulness about living a good life and so on so left my full-time job started consulting recently actually and, and I made it a purpose actually to help women like myself to do a little bit better you know feel a little bit positive about themselves so I thought like I might consult so I went into you know I got my certification and diploma in like consulting and I was like nope that's not my personality type but I still wanted to help and I, I and, and recently I started with a, you know a fashion brand which is you know comfortable fashion brand um, it's a luxury fashion brand but the whole idea of the brand is we, we have to be ourselves. We want to be feel comfortable and empowered because when you become a mom and when you, you know, you're trying to get back into normal life, so much has changed from your body, your brain and so on. And the one simple thing I felt really helped me was just getting up and dressing up every day. Just that little thing. Um, and that's one thing I just, if I can help other people with, uh, you know, I would, I, well, that's what I'm trying to do at this moment. And Sea Change has been a fantastic platform to feel, to meet people and, and know that I'm not the only one who's been feeling this way. Um, everybody goes through it. It's okay and it's normal to not feel okay. Um, so uh, that's how we, we cross paths and I'm, I'm uh, delighted to be here. Wow, what an amazing journey. Oh my goodness. I could listen to you talk for hours. Your accent is so beautiful. I'm literally just like, you need to start your own podcast. So we'll get onto that after. But um, <laughs> no, you, it, it's an amazing journey. And I love the kind of whole idea of, oh, it's 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 this this boss, this boss figure who has their life all together. And that's what we often think about people in our workplace when we really need to start looking at people from the human side and not saying, okay, this, there's this, this, this boss who has everything together. They have the job, they have the life, they have the kids, they have the car. Let's look at the human side of it. So I really appreciate you um, telling your story there. It's, um, it's fantastic. And I can't wait to kind of delve into it a little bit um, more, but Michelle, I want to turn to you. First of all, I made a mistake already. It's the parenting institute, not parenting institution. So I do apologize for that. <laughs> Um, but how are you this morning, Michelle? I am good. I am much better this week because my two little ladies headed back to school yesterday. So I am free, a free woman. <laughs> uh, so I can have this chat without the fear of anything popping up behind me or a lollipop getting stuck in my hair in the middle of it. So it's, it's great. <laughs> 
Amazing. So Michelle, I kind of want to just delve into kind of your background a little bit, if you can tell us a little bit to how you've gotten to this point uh, in your life and a little bit more about the, the Parenting Institute. Sure, no problem. I'm actually laughing. Well, first of all, you're going to have to listen to, to my North County Dublin accent, as opposed to Rochica's beautiful accent. So uh, apologies about that. No, but, we love it. We we love them all. We love that. We take every accent we can get. <laughs> so I'm laughing because my, my, my journey isn't too similar to Rajika's uh, in terms of, you know, the impact of having a child had on my career and my, my life and the reason why I found the Parenting Institute. But um, I was working in media for a number of years. Um, I would be quite an ambitious person. I had my own startup before a travel technology business and uh, it was just before the crash and I was named Entrepreneur of the Year and everything was looking fabulous and I encouraged my husband to come and join our company and um, so the two of us were working there and we had employed some people and then the crash happened and we lost the business so you know I, I'd taken a blow then and I'm like I'm quite you know able for stress and um, I've had plenty of it in my life and uh, losing a business and making people redundant you know was a, a stressful period and a, a you know a very upsetting time but I bounced back you know no problem and I was working in media then um for the Irish Times group and I was there for, for eight years but a couple of years after I was there a role came up for a managing director position but I didn't go for it because I was expecting a baby and in my mind you know you can't go for a promotion when you're expecting a baby because that makes no sense and um, so I was walking out the door to to uh, have the baby packing up on my last day and my boss said to me can I ask you why you didn't go for this role and I said well I'm, I'm pregnant and he was like what, what so what you know so I got promoted to MD 24 hours before I had my first baby. I went off maternity leave, which is really unusual oh story in media, especially, you know, you probably remember this. There wasn't that many. I was one of the youngest female MDs in media at the time, but also to, to be heading off maternity leave. And, and, you know, it was it was quite unusual. I was the first person in our organization to have a baby. So but what that meant was I came back. Uh, I came back after five and a half months, which is, you know, fine length of maternity. But uh, I came back to taking on a new position, a new team, managing people, you know, males who are older than me, a new role, and also trying to get back to, to Concealy from Ballsbridge for half six for a crash run, you know. And I, I did that and I was six weeks in and everything was going fine and I, I, everything was not going fine. Externally, everything was going fine. But I also landed myself in hospital um, for a week. But I woke up one morning and my, my whole face was swollen, my lips, my eyes, I had a rash all over my body. And I was put into um, a unit, a high-risk unit, um, and they couldn't actually determine what was wrong with me. But eventually it was established that I had something called chronic androgyma and urticaria, which was purely stress-related, purely stress-related. So six weeks of a new role and a new baby. Um, I had internalized everything uh, to the extent that my body actually just blew up, like literally said enough. So um, I began to kind of think about what I was doing you know what was the purpose of me trying to get back you know get it back to the crash at half six and working this big high power job and i did love my role um but i began to look at other people and other other people in the industry and then you know seeing the impact of, of having a young child was having on their health and their careers um and that's when the idea of, of parenting institute kind of came to me and, and we needed to do something to support both the working moms and working dads but i did stay in that role i actually i, I went back and asked for a four-day week um, which again was highly unusual when you're holding an MD position and you know that was no problem like my, my CEO was amazing uh, and very understanding so having a four-day week and asking for it um, you know changed my engagement to work I had three days at home with my baby and, and four days in work which was great um, and still being able to continue on with, with that career so 
I just felt it was time that we looked at how we're supporting working parents and both both mums and dads. But you know, some of some of the things we'll discuss today, we'll see that a lot of the, the caregiving falls to the mums, especially in the early days, and that can have a significant impact on your health. So that's the, the purpose of Parenting Institute. Um, I don't I don't regret my media career in any way. I absolutely loved it and learned so much, and it's it's you know given me such a great network. And here I am sitting with an old buddy from years ago. So it's, it's a small industry as well. But I, I'm very passionate about what we're doing at Parenting Institute. And I, I do feel it's kind of, you know, what, what, I, what I need to be doing. And it's something that's badly needed as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to have you both on today because so often people in, in senior roles will, will hide what's going on and put on, as Rashika was saying, the appearance of, of that nothing's wrong. And it's, it's the authoritative figure that you can't break you know and it's about time we kind of changed that and looked at people as humans with 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 lives and problems and issues and stress instead of trying to keep up that facade that so often will come to a breaking point as you you both have kind of mentioned um but Michelle just kind of a question about our change in society because it has changed a lot you know there's kind of a more balance between um parents uh looking after children um, there's a balance in, in work life more so. But do you think that the expectation still remains the same around women and the role that they have? Like, are they still expected to take on the caring roles and engage in motherhood? Yeah, unfortunately, it's one of the biggest themes that we see coming through all of our work. And it's, it's you know, it's sad to see that it is still the case. Um, and I think, you know, what we have to recognize is when a couple decide to have a baby, um, there's two people who, who come to that decision. They decide it's something they want. Typically, there's loads of exceptions and variations of this now. Um, but in most cases, two people, in over 90% of cases, two people come together and decide they want to have a child. When it's um, a male and female coming together to have a baby, you know, very quickly we fall into breadwinner versus caregiver role. Very quickly. And, and even if that even if the, the woman in the relationship has had a, a career beforehand and wants to continue on with that you know one of the we do diagnostics with organizations to try and establish what's going on and what are the themes and what's coming out and one of the questions we ask is what happens when your child becomes sick uh, and they're in, in pressure in school and they become sick what happens and we give a list of options and 68 percent of the dads say that my spouse or partner will care for the child and less than 3% of the mums answered that, that, that question that way. So it's just, it's going back to that idea is you've got two parents, they're both at work, the child becomes sick and the mom is the one to leave. And you know, people often argue it's because when a child is sick, they want their mom. That's not necessarily the case. They have two parents, they love them both equally and dearly, you know, um, but it's, it's that we automatically fall into this role. Um, and that puts an extra level of, of, of stress and pressure on women. Um, and it's not that the dads don't want to step up. It's almost less acceptable for them to, to do so. So, you know, we, we do a lot of focus groups in organizations as well. And, you know, there's some organizations and if, if a dad asks for paternity leave, they'll get kind of comments from a manager saying, oh, you're going home to babysit today. And, you know, things that are, just, that are unacceptable now. But until we start, until the dads start looking for more responsibility and even contribution to caring, the women will carry the balance of that. So it's really up to organizations to accept that paternity leave and maternity leave are equal. Um, and I remember, and this is, I think women carry, carry guilt um, 
a lot more than men. Like in our research as well, I think we we ask working mums how they what their guilt score is on a, on a daily basis, and they say eight point three out of ten, and dads say six point two. So, you know, women automatically they feel guilty. They feel guilty about not being with the children. They feel guilty about not doing a good job. The, the guilt levels are just higher for women, and that's just the way we're built. But I do remember, you know, when I had my my first little girl, I went back to work, and we were doing a big pitch, um, and it was very important, and the client was over from the UK, um, and we were in the boardroom. And my phone started ringing and I could see it was the crash, you know, and I just kind of tipped it upside down and then eventually knocked it into my bag. But I was so worried that if that client found out that I had a small baby, we wouldn't get the account because they would judge me and not think that I was, you know, capable of doing the job. But that's now, that's my mindset. Whether or not there was unconscious bias, people do feel that way. I'm not 100% sure what would have happened in that pitch, but that's how I felt. But that's back to how the mothers carry the guilt, how they carry the blame. It mightn't have been the case at all. Similarly, we, we do a survey and 75% of mums say they don't think they'd be able to advance in their career as being identified as a working mum. But that's not necessarily what the organisation is saying. That's what the working mum is saying. That's like me not going forward for promotion because I didn't think it was the right time for me. So in terms of, of changing this around and, and changing that expectation, until organisations you know, start treating the mums and dads as equal carers, um, and until mums start giving up some of that care duties and say to the dads, you know, why don't you grab Alex today? She's not feeling very well. And, um, you know, we're always going to we're always going to fall into those roles. So there is a kind of a societal issue and it has to be handled at, at an employee employer level, I think, first of all. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really interesting kind of the guilt and pressure that people might put on themselves. And, and that's like it very much ties into what we talk about with self-stigma, you know, and, and that's a thing that initially comes from society and the way it's portrayed and, and the pressure from that. But at the end of the day, it is a pressure and stigma we put on ourselves. So until you're saying, until the organizations change, until the society change, that stigma and that pressure and that guilt will always be there in some shape or form. So it's really interesting to see how that self-stigma kind of moves across in so many different places. Um, especially for women and I presume it's, it's the exact same in same-sex couples as well you know and it's not just that role of the mum and, and dad you know it's it's the breadwinner and, and the, the the carer kind of the situation. And I think um, I tried something else earlier on about you know the, the senior managers are managers who you know demonstrate they could they can be a working mom and have a career and who try and, and you know do that seamlessly and play hardball Whereas what we really need in organizations is leaders that say, I am a parent, I'm going to work part-time, I'm taking flexible time, I'm taking more time to be my children this summer, um, or these are my kids, uh, you know, that really bring that conversation into the workplace. And those leaders who, like, there's, there's, a, there's a great guy, and again, from a media example, um, he runs a media company in Dublin, and when people try and schedule something in his calendar, before 10 o'clock he says no I'm not, I'm not available before 10 o'clock I bring my kids to school every morning and I won't be in the office uh, I don't put anything in my diary before 10 o'clock and when you have a, ma a male MD saying you know I'm not going to be here because I'm actually bringing my kids to school that sets a tone in an organization you really need the leaders to walk the walk and demonstrate you know how to be a good leader a good pair and that you can do both you can still work hard um, but it doesn't have to be at the sacrifice uh, of, of quality time with your children or the ability to, to spend that time with them um, you can still do a great job. Yeah, definitely. And that's a great point that kind of culture starts at the top and it, it definitely is a trickle down effect in, in the actions, behaviours we have. Um, but Rashika, I want to turn to you as someone 
who has experienced like a mental health difficulty as a sea change ambassador, you, you talk about this, but do you think in, in your experience that expectations that women have has had an impact on you and how you navigate your mental health? Um, it, it's actually a great question. And a lot of it that, um, you know, for, for what Michelle just mentioned, um, it just striked a chord because it, it was like flashbacks. Um, when I started my uh, CMO role with one of the, you know, uh, uh, Irish PLC, my kids were about nine months. They both just started crash. It was their first month in the crash. And, um, you know, the first eight weeks of sicknesses, there's no parent as a first time parent who's ready for that kind of thing because uh, it is just unreal. You think you're doing something wrong. The guilt. And, and you know, I, I, I love researchers. I love studying about these things as well. And I have loads of studies. I follow this professor and I've spoken with her as well, Joan Williams. She's from the University of California. And I started asking questions about why women feel this way. Like why women have this guilt and men don't. Because... You know, the, 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 going back to the same scenario of the UK client meeting that you had, Michelle, I remember being in an investor meeting and the crash called. And at that time, I was like, oh, OK, if I don't answer, they're going to call my husband anyway. And that happened. You know, obviously, they didn't call me. They called my husband. But what happened in that particular moment was my brain had switched off. Yeah. I had this huge amount of cortisol in my brain and I am stressed, I'm tightening up, I can't hear, I can't focus, I can't, but being in a senior position, you're expected to have the right answers, you are expected to know it all. So there is some internal pressure and then there's some external pressure at the same time. And it's, it's, it's as, as Michelle said as well, it's striking the balance between them. But I do feel that we are, we're far away from it because going back to navigating workplace for women or stress or, you know, workplace, you know, there, there's so many studies out there which talk about so many biases, so many biases. And a lot of times when you don't know, when you haven't read or researched or studied these biases enough, or you don't know the data behind it, you start blaming yourself, which is even more damaging, right? So simple things like maternal wall bias, we also know it as maternal bias, right? Just that, so which means, so for example, two exact, so this has been a study, you know, for, for so many years and recently it has surfaced because it has over and over reflected the same or even higher percentage of the fact that if a woman shows that two CVs, man and a woman, and the woman has, you know, you know, lead role in PTA at X school, you have 79% less chance to be considered for the role just out of nowhere, right? Now that on its own shows you the simple things, right? Performance bias that women go through. Now we always, like as a woman, you would think, but there's something wrong. Am I doing something wrong? Is this, is this me? Or, you know, you know, should I be doing even, you know, trying even harder? Should I try to take this person out for a coffee and talk to them that what can I do better? You know, can I perform, you know, uh, something, you know, some other tasks that could, 
you know, create better performance metrics, like whatever, whatever. You would just, your brain starts thinking of a solution, but it has nothing to do with you. It's literally to do with your biological composite. Like it's literally that. And, you know, so for example, performance bias is, you know, I've been in those hiring committees where I've seen that men are uh, promoted based on their potential and women based on their performance, you know? So it's like, a, it's also known as prove it again bias. So it's like, you know, it has been done, hasn't been done by man, you know, a woman, sorry. So, so it's, a, it's those kind of things that you are facing every day and you're navigating through this every day. But until the work that Michelle is doing in that area, until more education is you know, put into this area, it's very, very hard because you start blaming yourself and that's where the brain, it's like a domino effect, right? So what happens is cortisol, you're, you, you, know, you are suddenly your brain is asking for more glucose, which means more sugar. And then you end up eating more sugar. You start gaining weight. And when you start gaining weight, you're even more uncomfortable. Your body is tired. You get into the chronic fatigue. And it's just one thing after the other. I remember for the first year, you know, obviously I had this out of body experience. It's like, I've, I've, I'm a small person. Uh, you know a short person and after having twins it's like this big huge belly was like I don't know what to do with it um I you know having work a new job and obviously new job has its own stress and you know uncomfortable anxiety that oh my god I want to learn everything I want to know everybody and their internal jokes that you would never know you know for another year and he was just trying to push yourself I would come home, put my kids, like pick them up at five, put them to bed at seven, then go to gym at eight. And I'm pushing myself and I'm like so tired. And next morning, obviously they don't have a clock. They wake up at five, they wake up at six. They sometimes wake up for feeds at, you know, at 12 midnight and there's no routine. And I'm pushing myself because I want to be perfect for what I see right? Because a lot of us don't talk about those problems. And, you know, I've also researched about why we don't about those problems. And we can talk about that as well. But navigation comes from education. And it comes from the leaders actually showcasing behavior that is acceptable. Um, I know, Michelle, you said that, you know, um, your MD, uh, you know, said that they'll start work at 10 it's not usually accepted from women. Now there's another likability bias that we have, which is around women, which goes back that you cannot, as a woman, I actually did not show my kids pictures too much because I thought I don't want to be considered a mom. I don't want to be considered a softie. I don't want to be considered this. And that was, and I always had that. I love my boys and I always had them back of my mind. I would always be looking at their pictures but I would avoid conversations about them because I know that they would think, oh, there she is again about their kids. But if a man does that, he's, he has 82% more chances to be respected. Whereas man, women has about 70% less chances to be respected. So it's, it's kind of very different measurements. Um, so it becomes a responsibility of women on the top to start with that, set the tone, lead with example and I think the most basic thing is whenever you see a behavior as such point it out 
in the most subtle way. By the way, can I know why did you do this? That simple why will just switch the brain into a rational mode because a lot of time we are an autopilot our subconscious biases sometimes have the control but the moment you ask the why it becomes um, active effort to think before you do something or you speak about something and I felt that that really helped um, uh, but yeah we have a long way to go before things can change and so many of us has have such important roles to play in this. Um, going back to the fact about, you know, Showstopper, which I recently started, I also have a technology agency, like a MarTech agency, but the Showstopper, it's so close to my heart because it's simple thing like that. I looked at data again, and I looked at how when, you know, dad bod, you know, it was a trend a few years ago, is so in, like everybody's like, oh, dad bod is normal, dad bod, you know, look at, um, you know, all these celebrities, they have dad bods. What about mom bods? <laughs> it's like not accepted, right? And I've always been in fitness. So that was bothering me a lot as well. You have 6.4 billion maternity uh, clothing industry. And after that, it goes back to size 8, 10, 12, 14. And it's a bit like, but I don't have that. Like, I, I, I can't wear those clothes for a while. And then you start pushing yourself and you start feeling less than, imperfect, not right, um, uncomfortable. And all those things have that bigger performance effect that, you know, um, that you carry to work and you, you're home every day. Yeah. Wow. And it, it like it's it's no surprise that so many of us suffer from imposter syndrome. And like the fact that you brought that up this morning was hilarious because me and Shauna just beforehand, I was saying, this week I've just been suffering from it so much because you know when I'm working I'm like I'm a young woman as well it's like I need to prove myself 10 times more than anyone else just because I'm young <laughs> and I'm a female you know it's it's very difficult and the science behind it is so interesting you know that um that that men are kind of measured by the prove it and women by the performance which is so interesting and I do really agree that there's kind of a different baseline for, for men and women in terms in kind of that parenting as well. You know, you often see kind of a, a post on Facebook, oh, the man took the day off to look after the kids and everyone's like, oh, what a hero. He's doing an amazing job. Oh my God, get me one of those men. It's like, why is he being praised for looking after his kids? You know, <laughs> it's, there definitely is a different kind of baseline um, in the kind of parenting roles. And it's so interesting to see that. And hopefully with these conversations, we can only encourage it. But Michelle, I'd like to turn to you in kind of in terms of your work with the Parenting Institute. Do you see these expectations reflected in the workplaces you engage with? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and it's kind of two different types of, of organizations we engage with. Somebody will come to us because they've possibly had a, a challenge internally or, you know, they've had some sort of negative experience and they need to, to remedy that, um, you know, and, and they need to fix that or you'll have companies that genuinely want to make a change in this area. And we see a lot in a lot of organizations we're working with now, there are working groups set up internally, whether that's like women's working groups, women, women matters working groups, or family matters or parents matters. Um, and they're driving the conversation internally. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we see when we go into any organization and we run the diagnostics 
is that often there's a desire in the organization to change behavior and to, to handle these better, but it comes down to lack of training of management. Um, and we'll see situations where management, and often, particularly in young tech companies and media companies, you'll have people who progress quite quickly in their careers um, that may not be parents themselves, and they find themselves in a situation where they're managing parents. So you've got you know, a woman who's going to come to you and say, I'm expecting a baby. And in our, in our research, in our focus group, we've had, we've, we've found like the, the most horrendous stories. We've heard of stories where, um, you know, somebody came to tell the manager they were expecting a baby and the manager said, well, I actually thought you put on a good bit of weight. Um, you know, responses like this, or um, we had one situation where someone quite senior who already had two children was going for a director's role in the organization. And they were told that they would get the role if there was no more surprises. Um, you know, and, and PwC actually did a report on this and it said that 42% of women were nervous about what having a child would do to their careers. And to think that, you know, an individual in an organization or an organization could actually impact a woman's decision whether or not to have a, a family or another child, um, you know, that is, is unacceptable. You know, it, it really is. And they're the conversations that, that really need to change. So what we find uh, when we run, we run um, our Leading Inclusively program for managers, and that's to help them help all managers handle conversations around maternity, paternity, miscarriages, IVF, whatever, whatever the topic is. It's not leadership training. It's more empathetic and conscious bias training. Um, but they've never been trained in this before. So they don't know how to, to react, especially, you know, I think if you're a parent and you're managing parents, you've got a certain level of empathy. And I think the pandemic has really shed extra light on this you know and when we talk about that divide between men and women um you know women and men who are at home together uh with with children we've had situations where women are setting their alarms to get up at five working from five to nine then starting to do the homeschooling uh trying to log on a couple of hours in the afternoon and then they log on again in the evening time whereas the dads work the regular working day and and this isn't often discussed in a relationship it's just how we fall into these patterns um, so we do like we do various courses and we're doing one at the moment for, for working parents um, and just even to how to have those conversations both at home and in work. Um, you know, and, and one of our facilitators gives a really good example of what happens in a situation when a woman wants to has to leave a conference call to do some homeschooling or because she has a, a child who's crying and she'll say, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. It's just my baby is, or I have to go and I'm really sorry. And will apologize repeatedly and give an over explanation of the baby and then, and it, it, a man will say, guys, I have a hard day at two o'clock. I got to leave. And, you know, nobody will question. Nobody will think about why, why he is or where, he, where he's going or what's he is. Has he another call? Um, but as women, we feel the need to over explain ourselves. And also we now and the research that we've done during the pandemic is that women are questioning their, their ability to do their work, their ability to be a good parent. Are they in the right role? Is their boss judging them? Are their managers judging them? Could they be let go? Um, there's so many questions as a result of working during, during the pandemic and a really, really depressing report came out a couple of weeks ago in the States, the McKinsey report, and said that as a result of the pandemic, one in four women are going to step away from their careers because it, it's no longer feels sustainable to, to be a working mom. And even though we're in a state of temporary flux and God, if the schools hadn't opened up this week, I don't know where I would be myself, but it's this, it's, it, we're nearly a year into it and it's really taking its toll. And not that people don't think they will be able to do the job when, when the economy reopens and schools reopen. They're just questioning everything. Like, why, why am I putting myself under this pressure? Um, and they say it's going to set us back a significant amount of time in terms of where we've come in gender equality at board level. 
for one in four women in the States, I don't have the stat for Ireland, but like it has to be something similar. I've, I've already seen it in my direct circle of friends, women who have decided to, to resign from their careers. Um, and look, they might, they might go back in a year or two or, or a couple of years, but the impact it's having on women who are, are carers, whether it be for children or for others, um, life just doesn't seem possible anymore in its current status and, and they're stepping away from, from careers. So that's why it's really important. And there's a couple of things like, it's really important that we, we acknowledge, um, you know, the, the, in partnerships as well and have those conversations at home. Like we have, we have a roster we print off every Sunday that literally has breakfast, dinners, lunches, who's dressing who, you know, who's doing homeschooling. And um, it, it just, it really helps our relationship at home and also from a work perspective. So my husband puts into his calendar that he's homeschooling on, you know, when, when we were homeschooling and his manager could see that. But even around that, he didn't have that conversation with his manager. She didn't question him. So there's a lot of unsaid um, kind of a lack of communication and that's causing um, a huge amount of, of stress for people. So I think, you know, one of the biggest responsibilities of an organization now is to make sure that they are communicating and that their, their managers are trained to have those conversations. Do you need a couple of hours this week to homeschool? What do you need from us? Do you want to catch up over here? If, if it all goes unsaid, that just bubbles under the surface and people really feel like they're being judged, they're not delivering, they can't cope, they're not able to do it. And it ends up down, like months down the road being a much worse situation. And when when we all do get back to, I don't, I don't want to say normal because I don't know what that is, when we get back to more old familiar routine, it's going to be a huge amount of resentment built up between teams, between managers and staff, between teammates who feel they, they weren't doing X, Y, and Z, whereas clear communication, almost like the roster, you know, so-and-so is going to not work on Wednesdays anymore, but they're going to pick up that at the weekend, whatever it is. Um, I just think communication is really important. I was working the most random hours, you know, and I, I took, um, I was doing a lot of homeschooling and then I'd have to work in the evening and that's okay with me. You know, I like I had my time with the kids and I would log on in the evening, but I was really conscious of that because of the work that we're doing and also the impact it's having on people. And I, I started off most of my emails with, um, I'm working flexible hours to suit my family's time. So don't feel any need to respond to this. I know it's a really basic thing that's been around for a couple of years, but when people see that it does make them feel better about their own routine and, and not feeling like they have to respond immediately. Everybody like had, had different ways of handling the situation. But in terms of, of organizations, I mean, it, it really is so important that they communicate with their staff and that their managers are trained on how to handle these conversations because the more that goes unsaid, uh, the more damaging it is to, to, to everybody involved, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. But I think for a lot of people in the workplace, perhaps if, if they're by themselves or they're living at home and kind of isolation and things like that, we often just see the person on the screen and what the way I'm looking at you now in a little Zoom box, you think that's them and that's their life right there in that box. You don't see what goes behind it. And even that kind of starting off the email with saying I'm working flexible hours, it, it strikes a chord with people and thinking, oh my gosh, this person has a life outside their, this email or this little Zoom box, you know? And I think that needs to be emphasized more than ever um, because we're so isolated and we're so looking at a screen the entire time. It's not the same as in a workplace, you know, you'd catch up in the kitchen and say, oh gosh, I'm, I'm doing this or I'm doing that and, and all that sort of thing. We've lost that human connection. Um, but I also kind of love the point that you made there, which I kind of try and do so often is, is saying no without um, without apologizing. We're saying no without reasoning behind it. 
And it comes back to that, um, which Rashika mentioned, the kind of likability factor. You don't want to say no and then people go, well, she's in some sort of mood or she does this or that or thinks that of herself. And then, as he said, if a man said, well, no, I can't do it today, full stop. You'd say, okay, okay, no worries, we'll, we'll work around it. And I really, that did strike a chord for me because I'm often, you know, as someone with anxiety, I have that people pleaser side of me where I'm like, no, no, I can't do it because I have to do this. And I'm really, really sorry. And, and no worries and all this sort of thing. Like I say no worries about a million times a day, just not to offend someone. Um, <laughs> so that really, really struck a chord with me. Um, so I appreciate that. But Rashika, just kind of with the, the pressures women have to face, have you found that you have less time to focus on your mental health and have you kind of learned to prioritize that as you were saying kind of in the beginning you you didn't really have the time and you kind of had to you kept putting yourself off on the back burner a little bit I would say I I I didn't have the time when I didn't want to make time um and now I have a lot more time because I've consciously made an effort to have that time and it's it's just it's just about priorities, um, and I had to prioritize myself. I had to prioritize, and I think it was the part when I lost my mom. Becoming a good mom was a goal to me. It was because the more frustrated, more anxious I was, the, the more um, grumpy my kids became. So I would just, they were just reflecting on my energy, like the more, no, no, no. And they could barely speak and they kept saying, no, no, no. And I was like, oh my God, is that all they hear all the time? <laughs> I think it is about setting those realistic goals for yourself and being kind to yourself. I mean, you know, the here, here's another thing that when it comes to mental health, especially at workplace, especially as a woman, then as a mom, you have layers of complex, you know, complications and complexities that you have to live with every day. So much that already touched on. And just to add on is a manager is supposed to know it all, right? You, a lot of times you can't really say, that, oh, I don't know it, you know, let me figure it out. It's usually taken, you know, as, oh, it's not a great thing. How come she doesn't know about it? And that on its own is putting pressure on yourself, right? So setting those expectations that manager became a manager or a leader or whatever for their qualities and their contribution and performance. They're not encyclopedias. They won't know everything. They would need time to research. They might forget as well. They're human like all of us. So, so I think it comes from the education and workplace, but at the same time, you knowing your priorities. And I think Michelle touched on that, how we communicate our, you know, how we make adjustments to our communications are so, so important. So just not using sorry for everything because you're not sorry. You know, it is okay to, you know, jump out and do these things. I remember I used to carry antibiotics in my handbag while going into meetings because I knew that I would pass by crash, take my kid out, put antibiotics in him and then put him back at crash. Because if I told the crash to give antibiotics, they won't take him and crash for three days. And I can't manage all that. So I, I remember doing that. So on top of my head, I was feeling like the worst human, worst mom. 
at the same time, incompetent um, leader, because I had so much happening in my head, but I was the one putting myself through it. Like nobody asked me to do that. Yes, there were expectations. And when it comes to workplaces as well, there are so many there are businesses who have kind of, you know, prioritized mental health, but they are the only American global firms. There's there gazillion of the smaller, medium-sized businesses who, who have zero idea about what is going inside human brain and the impact of every word that comes out. So in, when it comes to mental health, this is my suggestion to everybody I talk to. Make three circles. What's in your control? What's under your influence? And what's out of your control? And just work with it because there's no point trying to control things that you cannot so and the and you'll realize very quickly the only thing you can control is yourself so go for a walk take a shower put a mascara on and and you know do whatever makes you feel good about yourself and that's the most important thing why i always see say dress up is because dopamine right now dopamine is a is a you know happy hormone and it's so important for us to focus and feel socially connected feel cuddled and loved and you know admired and that's such an important ingredient of your body when you dress up well and you get one compliment whoever gives you sometimes my boys notice they're like oh mommy why are you not wearing your pajamas today i was like oh okay then. <laughs> and 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 when they notice those things it gives you instant dopamine and it elevates. So, so if you have that one shot of getting yourself that without, you know, actually putting it inside through medication, that's natural. Like let's, let's try to make an effort to, you know, push our own mental health because nobody else is going to care if you don't. So it's, it's those basic things. And I think I made that decision to prioritize my health, prioritize how I feel, prioritize what I let, you know, impact me starting a business during COVID was people say it's the, you know, it's the most challenging thing. I actually love it. I actually, I feel that I'm learning so much more. It is challenging, but there are things that are not in my control and I can't do it. All I can do is best today, you know, and that's literally all I have in my control. So it's, it's about the time you make versus the time given to you because time, you know, can be spent as at whatever you want to. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love the three circles idea because there's so like, as, as a person with a mental illness, as a person with mental difficulties, there is so much we can't control. You know, this is happening in our head. This is literally like we have no control over it a lot of the time. And I agree with the whole kind of dressing up sort of thing. You know, the past few weeks, I found it just really, really hard mentally. And half of my bottom half was in pajamas my top half was was dressed and that was it that was all I could do for those two weeks and then one day last week I woke up I had a shower got dressed and put a dress on and sat down and it, the difference it makes oh my goodness and it's those really really small things that may not seem like a success to so many other people or it may not seem like a huge step but when we're talking about the reality of, of struggling with your mental health that is a huge huge step you know, and even if it's like I put on makeup for the first time, oh my gosh, maybe in like three months, you know, <laughs> from working at home. And I was like, wow, like I look like this sometimes. This is fantastic. And it's those really, really small things that can make a huge difference to our day. So I love that kind of controlling the controllables point because um, 
so often, you know, we can't control what other people think of us. We can't control other people's behaviors and things like that. And the more we kind of tell ourselves that and take that pressure off of ourselves, as you were saying, it's going to make the, the world of difference. But kind of talking about that pressure, Michelle, what do you think we can do to alleviate the pressure? Like, so for women, it doesn't have to be either parenting or the career. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I know for, for some people, um, they, they don't want the parenting, which is completely fine. They want the career and vice versa. But what can we do to alleviate that you have to choose one or the other? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the big challenge, really. And you're right. Some people aren't for the career and some people don't want to become parents. But those who, who do want to have both um, and like as Rachika talks about things that are in your control, if you decide that you want to have a career and you want to be a parent, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges you're going to face and, and guilt and um, self-doubt are, are two of the big ones. But in terms of how we can alleviate this pressure, in my opinion anyway, is, is not necessarily in our control. This needs to come from, from support from your, your employers. And this comes down to leadership, leadership training, making sure that managers know how to have conversations. Don't say ridiculous things when people announce pregnancies. Don't sneer men when they ask for paternity leave. Um, you know, it's so important that we start getting that balance on, on men and women both being equal carers. Uh, we need to remove the bias from men taking paternity leave and being carers and equal carers, which as they, as they step up and become more equal carers, it allows us to, to you know, fall into our careers and have that, that shared equality. And then it really is up to, to organisations to make sure that senior management are walking the walk and that it isn't this thing on a policy in a, in a press somewhere that you are allowed to be a, a working mother here and be supported and there's a policy there and a covered about it. It's that this is the culture in our organization that I can do it, you can do it, our managers can do it and we can openly discuss the challenges of, of being a working parent. When you try and hide the fact that you're a parent, as we both mentioned, we did, you don't, you don't, it was seen as a weakness, you know, and, and things have changed. And I do totally agree with you, Rachika. US multinationals are doing such a good job like some of the leaders in this space at CubSpot and stuff like just really, really great at supporting working parents. But there's a lot of, you know, domestic SMEs here that need to, to review their policies towards working parents and, and how they're handling them. So I think, you know, training for managers, um, removing the bias around working dads, uh, being equal caregivers, and then senior managers, you know, walking the walk and demonstrating. That's going to have the biggest impact on people um, being, able to, being able to kind of have both and I think, you know, the, the pandemic, even though it's been really tough on everyone, um, you know, prior to it, there was lots of people who asked for flexible working or homeworking um, from the organization and were told that they categorically couldn't have it. Um, and then a few months later, found themselves going, the category have, have to be at home. So, you know, I'm hoping that some good will come out of this and people will see the productivity that can be done from flexible working and homeworking um, and that we'll, we'll take some positives and don't immediately fall back into to kind of bad, bad habits. Yeah. And I think the way we kind of view these sort of that, that flexibility that workplaces can offer is really important as well, as you were saying, kind of with a lot of kind of multinationals, the flexibility is seen as a perk or a benefit or like an add on to your, your contract or your role when really it should be a priority. And, and that's the kind of thing talking about the, the, um, the medium small companies. It, it should be just there, not an add on. Oh, aren't you great that you've got this extra bit on for you? It should just be kind of the minimum level of, of, of care that we have for our the, the staff you know it's the best resource that we have and we need to kind of look after it um 
but Rushika, when you were kind of talking about your your mental health experience, was it hard for you to kind of notice that oh my god, I'm I'm not doing well, or or even recognize that and kind of accept it? I'm I'm not in a good place. I'm not doing as well as I usually have been. God, yes. <laughs> um, it was it was hard to um, say it to yourself first uh, than anybody else that oh God, I need help. Um, or what is happening <laughs> because it's the it's the perfection persona out there on social media and everything else that we see and we we believe in that you know this is this should be life no life doesn't come with the booklet it doesn't come with the picture it, it comes as you learn it and it's it just it was it was very very difficult um I um and again you know it's, it's, I always feel that life gives you enough opportunities to mend it, to, to, you know, recognize, and, and there's so many, um, you know, so many kind of indications that things are going wrong, get a hold of it, get things are going wrong. But if you are anything like myself, who is proud of your performance and proud of, you know, academics and you love doing because this is what you know of, you know, this is how you have worked for, you know, last 14 years. This is all I've been recognized for, right? So forgetting it immediately and becoming something different was very difficult. So I kept pushing myself and pushing harder and harder. And very similar to Michelle, when I ended up in the hospital, I was in the hospital for seven days, actually. And it took them four days. They put me in isolation and everything else. And they were just trying to figure out what's wrong. Came out to be chronic fatigue. I went for meningitis test. I, you know, my prefrontal cortex was shrinking. Imagine the amount of stress. And, and, and then as well, I was like, no, I'm not going to take any antidepressants because, you know, God, no. Like it wasn't antidepressant. It was serotonin, which is good because it's just a chemical imbalance because of how you've treated your body. Right. And, and it's like, no, 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 no. It's no, I'm not going to take that medicine, that medicine. And it's a bit like, no. So if your stomach is hurting, will you go for a medication? And I had the most wonderful GP. Um, she was in her when she became a doctor she was the only woman in the whole batch so she's been there she's done that and every time i went to her and i went out i'm not good enough i can't do this anymore and she was like you're okay you're okay you don't worry about it you know we'll fix it we'll figure this out what is happening why are you pushing yourself and it was still so so hard it's only after I was faced with the brutal reality of losing both my parents. I was like, oh my God, I would never want my kids to be in that position. And that's where I started making myself a priority and starting saying, I need help. I need to figure things out. I want to know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And it's okay to not be perfect. You know, it's okay. The house is not clean. You know, it's okay. And you know, the influence, uh, the control influence and out of your control thing kids are only influenced they're not in your control so you know when we think oh i want them to go to sleep at this time i want them to do this i want them to talk at this time or you know play at this time or not make mess you can only influence that like you can't really control that so the more you're trying to push yourself as a mom you're just trying to push that all out so i think i started feeling a lot better the moment i said to myself 
there is something wrong with me, but I am not wrong. Like it's, it's not me. There is something wrong in me. So I'm going to figure that out. I, there's not a book I didn't read in this area. There's not a person I didn't seek help from. There's not a, you know, doctor or therapist that I did not seek advice in, you know, in my circle that, you know, what can I do? And I'm grateful that I did, that I did not push myself even harder. And I took that as like, okay, there's something wrong and it's okay. Let's just go ahead and, and figure that out. And to be honest, the more you learn about your brain, the more people like Michelle has this, you know, parental thing working out. It's so important because it's, it all comes back from education, learning about yourself, learning about how your body composites are working, how your brain has billion neurons who are putting so many things in your head. Simple things like multitasking, which is like, oh, women are great at multitasking. It's a myth. Nobody, a brain is not ready for multitasking. You're switching it off and on and on. It's just that we put that brave face because we don't want to give up. We have that kind of, for millions of years, we've designed this way that we can do with our hands too many things, but brains are getting exhausted. The brains are losing their neuroplasticity to accept more things. So the whole idea of multitasking is, is you know you women are fantastic at it no we're not nobody is nobody like it's it's physically impossible to be multitasker so just accepting those things and um you know then addressing them one thing at a time and the only thing you have in your control is right now you can't control future you can't control the past and making an agreement with it uh, if you spoke about this three years ago with me, I would be like, oh, everything is wrong. And, you know, like, I want to change everything. There's nothing you can do. So it's just accepting that it, um, that, you know, makes you feel a little bit better and just asking for help from the right people. A lot of times you reach out to people who would impacted negatively as well so know your circle, know your family, you know, know who are the right people people your partner your parents your brother your sister the most close people will just get you um i know you know we a lot of us are blessed with great friends as well but until you have faced that trauma you face those you know situations you don't really know how to help so it's not they're not great friends it's just you know, they ha don't have experience in this. So that's why seed change or whoever who has seen this can help you better than anybody you think should be helping you. So just choose your circle to open up carefully as well. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love that. And the kind of whole emphasis on prioritizing yourself is, is such a huge thing. And I've noticed with my own mother as well. I mean, we often have conversations about how when I was very ill, she prioritized me actually which is completely fair it's it's the the thing that she was the instinct to do but as a result she kind of neglected herself and it comes back to the point of you know being on the airplane you put your own oxygen mask on first before looking after anyone else and as you were saying your kind of energy has the influence on others so if you're not full of energy and you don't have that oxygen, you can't help anyone else. And um, so, no, I, I, I really, it, it just makes sense, you know, and I love the, I love your love of logic. Um, it, it really resonates with me because I know when I was really ill, my biggest thing was why, why, why is this happening? Why is this happening? And I was 
probably like you looking at my entire life being like, well, I've got great friends. I've got a great family. I've got great this. I've got great that. Sometimes everything is perfect. And it's just what's happening inside my brain is is wrong. And um, that point you kind of made of it's it's not me. It's it's in me, which which I really love because we can't let something like this define us. You know, I'm not Abigail depression, anxiety. You know, that's not who I am. I'm a person who's suffering from something. So I really, really appreciate that. But um, one question I kind of want to put to both of you is what change you would like to see in the regards of expectations of women? Um, Michelle, I'll come to you first with this. Is there anything you'd like to see regarding those expectations? Um, yeah, so in terms of change, again, I'm, I'm really focused on, on how an organization can, can impact this because I feel that's where the problem is. And I, I, really, I really like your point there, Look about, about what peer group you go to because... When I was struggling with deciding whether or not I was going to pack in my career as, as managing director of a media group and you know it, I also found that defined who I was as a person so you know I would like I was well known in, in the media industry and I would speak at events and then what was I going to be when that was no longer my title um, and I could go to somebody in my peer group a good friend of mine and she would say come on you know we're the we're the career girls we can do this and she would give me a pep talk and I'd be like right now I need I, I do need my career or I could go to my sister and she, she hasn't worked since her babies were born. And, you know, it's such an important part of their life and important part of the development to have their mum around. And I'd leave her thinking, oh, no, I need to, I need to give up work. And I like, you know, depending on who I was listening to, you really have to listen to yourself as well. You know, you do have to have, have and maybe with your partner. And, and I love those circles as well. Write down what's in your control. Like I definitely probably could have had some better conversations when I was trying to come to that conclusion myself. And, and I probably went to the people who I knew would give me the answer I needed at that time, even though it was, it was the wrong one. But in terms of change, one of the first things for me is, is communication. So, you know, whether that's with your partner or with your manager, unless you're talking about what's going on right now, about your requirements as a working parent, they don't understand it. So you have to talk about it or else it's just this unsaid um, challenge that becomes a, a bigger issue and can lead to much bigger problems. So communication to make sure that women are, are supported and understood in the workplace and also with your partner saying, I actually have some big days coming up from work. Can you step back a bit from yours and we'll manage this between us? So I think communication is key. Um, demonstration, and, and again, not demonstrating by having a policy on a shelf, demonstrating by, by actually walking the walk in terms of senior management and showing how this is done. Um, and then I think we need to embrace the flexibility um, that's been given to us during this pandemic and, and not fall back into to old habits. So accept the change that's been forced upon us and take the good out of that moving forward because it will make a big difference like I mean commuting from 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 Concealy to Balls Bridge every day like it was an extra and via the crash it was an extra three to four hours a day on my day like how much easier would life be if I, I could have done two of those days at home you know it just like the kids wouldn't have been here it's not not going to impact my productivity it's probably going to improve it so just take those good um good pieces of the pandemic and then I think we need to let the dads step up and take on more of the caregiving and not be embarrassed. Don't let social stigma or uh, social attitudes impact that. You know, we're, we should be in equal partnerships when we become parents. So let them step up and take on more of the caregiving. Um, I saw a lovely post uh, on, on, on LinkedIn the other day, uh, a lady from the UK saying, um, my husband's working half days and so am I, uh, just so we can both balance our careers. And I just thought, wow, like we are, we are very far away from that. You know, we really are, but that's great that they can do that. You know, they both work half days and they, they have young children, so they, they care give on the other half. But um, it certainly shouldn't be that women 
are fitting their careers in around the main home care piece. You know, we both, we all have to feed into that when we're in relationships with children. Um, and look, at the end of the day, the children are the ones who suffer. And Giga mentioned this, like when you're totally stressed, um, you know, your children feed on that. And I used to pick the girls up and when Anna was just a baby, by the time I drove from the train station to get her at home, she was asleep. I used to lift her from the car seat into the cot and I wouldn't get to spend any time with her. So that's when, when that started happening, I realized this, this child doesn't even know who I am, you know? So we have to make sure this is working for us. And, you know, it, you, you should be able to absolutely spend quality time with your children and have a career. Um, and there's a couple of positive steps we can take. I certainly am focused on how an organization can do that. I've dealt with my own family situation and we have balance here now. Um, not seamlessly, there's still the odd fight, especially during lockdown. It's, it's all been a challenge. But um, I will be looking mainly at, at the changes organisations can do to, to support working parents. And I do think the dad stepping up is a big piece of that change mm-hmm. in social attitudes. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And it, 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 a big point to that is the stigma and the societal stigma we have of um, kind of equal parents, like both stepping up to the plate. Um, so I appreciate that. Rushika, the same question of you. What kind of changes would you like to see regarding the expectations of women? I think it's... it's um there's so many changes that I can just keep going on and on about but I think the the most important thing is education around this area awareness that there, there is a problem so let's address the elephant in the room and it's extremely important that we do because a lot of times we we keep going on thinking nothing is wrong no it's you, you you're probably that way but no it is and they're all subconscious biases so it's not that people are consciously making an effort to make you feel bad it just happens because again for hundreds and hundreds of years this is women's role has been on the back seat or in the house and it's very recent that she has taken up the top seat and it's suddenly uh oh my god how Right. So so it's going to take some time for the brains to develop and accept it. And that can only happen if we educate the right people in the right way. I think it's the responsibility of the leaders on the top to begin with this, to set an example. Women with no doubts cannot let women down. They have a different place in heaven for women who support women because that's what we need. You cannot let other women down because you've been there, you've done that, you've been through that. Like you want to you want to accept it or not, we've all been through a certain, you know, amount of bias. But men as well have to participate in this and they have to take an active position and stance on the fact that Okay, if they've addressed a behavior, if they've addressed a situation, point it out, say things out then and there. Don't just let it, you know, happen or go on, you know, unnoticed. You, you mentioned that there, Michelle. I love the fact that, you know, the fact that the, the, the worst issues are the ones that are not addressed. Like those are the most important things to be spoken about. And I think then there, there's a chain of things. Like if you go back into marketing, um, you know, we've all started like, you know, while in, in when I started marketing, it was all about making women feel less than so you can sell her another product right and that has been the way we think right that we have to do x to be y it's never good enough it's always you know add something to something because that's how the retail this is how the consumers 
you know, it, it, it's everything has been uh, designed. So those things have to be leveled down. They have started happening, but unfortunately they just started happening 20 years ago. So it's gonna take a lot more time, but it's just about having that education, having those open communication, creating that awareness around those issues are extremely important. And then, you know, especially when it comes to parents, just have, you know, offering that, extra little support and engagement is so important because you're not just parents everybody's going through every, something you know it's, it's not just parents challenges parents just have two plus because they have two or three or you know however more people to take account of as well so they're carrying their stresses on them as well so so it's just being that little more aware of it and it'll all come by us starting with why, you know, if somebody behaves certain way, just ask them, why did you do that? You know, like not attacking them, but the moment they'll start asking themselves, they'll realize that there's something wrong in the way they said it. So it's, it's just those basic things instead of going into too much more. I think that's going to bring the expectations down. And that's also, I think, so many women CEOs have already made an exceptional, you know, um, example of how both of the things can manage. And let's be real about that as well. Let's be real about the challenges too, because, you know, um, Indra Nui, the, the PepsiCo CEO, I love her. I love her personality and how she became the CEO of PepsiCo and all these things. But one thing she always said was, you know, she always opened up about her personal life as well. She always said that, I always thought I was not a good mom. You know, it, she needed her husband's support because her mom, given that she was raised in an Asian background as well, she, the, mo the day she became a CEO, she, was, she came home, told her mom that, you know, she became a CEO of PepsiCo Global. And her mom said, okay, that's great. Go get some milk. There's no milk. She's like, I'm just coming home at 8.30 and you want me to go get milk. You know, I'm a CEO. So just, just accepting few things and then making a rigorous effort to change them over time is, you know, you can't change things overnight. So, so those kind of leaders are so important as well. Just opening up, ending that stigma, but at the same time, education, I feel, uh, it's so important. I didn't even know that kind of work exists, Michelle. So I think um, it's so important today. Yeah, definitely. And I really, really appreciate both your insight on it. I think this conversation needs to be happening every day of the week. It's not just ticking a box, you know, International Women's Day. Like it's not just a one thing that, that should be happening. It should be happening all the time. And I really, really appreciate um, both your insight on it and Rishika I loved what you said there. there's a special place in heaven for women who, who empower other women I absolutely love that we need it on a t-shirt or something um, but yeah but to finish uh, with my podcast I always end with a message of hope you know that some of the topics we're talking about they can be quite draining for people to hear you know for some women listening they might think gosh that struck a chord with me or maybe that's what my life kind of looks like right now so I always think it's important to to end on kind of an, an uplifting positive note so Michelle I would turn to you and just ask what would your message of hope be to to someone listening out there today I think you know as Vajika said earlier on as well everybody's going through something there will be very, very dark days and you can't maybe figure out what the right thing to do is or, or you feel like you're going to sacrifice your, your career for your children or, or vice versa. 
but just take a breath it's all very temporary and you know you, you look back on that um in a couple of years and realize how unimportant either that career was or that decision was and you know to talk to the right people as well as Rodriguez said make sure you reach out to the right peer group um and and listen to yourself um perfect amazing thank you and Rashika same question to you what would your message of hope be today um I, th I think um the most important thing that we can do to ourselves or to anybody around us or people we care about is you know just be kind to yourself and I think if you are kind to yourself, everything is going to be kinder to you. So, you know, set the right priorities, like just set, you know, don't get into that perfection, um, you know, uh, um, mess, like nothing is perfect. Nobody is living a perfect life. Let's, let's be honest about it. Let's be, you know, let's be you let's be comfortable in our skins and in you know the way we look the way we feel um and and i think that's the first step just just get up um every morning and say i'm perfect i'm i'm doing great and i think that one thing like um <laughs> it's it's my brand slogan I, and i came up with it on in my bed actually i it's so showstopper is all about get up dress up change the world and i came up with that because on my worst days, all I did was, I was like, I can't control anything today, anything. I was crying outrageously. I could not focus. I didn't feel like going out. But the only thing I was taking, doing was, I was getting up, taking a shower and dressing up. And that just gave me a little bit. So do find what is your, that one little thing. Um, you know, looking at my boys in the morning gives me so much energy. And like, I think if that's, you know, find what gives you energy and take, you know, spend, make time for it. And that's it. You got it figured out and everything else will fall in place, I believe. I absolutely love that. It's just finding your thing that that gives you that bit of oomph in the morning, you know, whether that be getting up and, and getting dressed or maybe having nice breakfast, setting that time for yourself to check in with yourself is so important, especially now that we're working from home, you know, those small little things can be put on the back burner and, and not be a priority when really these are the things that will get us through the day. And um, ladies, thank you so, so much for joining me today. I think it's been an absolutely wonderful conversation and I hope those listening out there will agree. If anyone has been affected by anything that we've talked about today, as per usual, we have all the helplines in our description. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Sea Change, you can go to seachange.ie to learn a bit more about Stigma, our ambassadors, and all the work that they do, which is amazing. Um, ladies, thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. And for those listening out there, we'll have another wonderful episode next week. Thanks, guys.